This is The Visible Hand, a podcast about organizations, economics, and management. My name is Jordi Blanes Vidal, and I am an associate professor at the Department of Management, London School of Economics. My guest today is David McKenzie, who is a lead economist in the World Bank's Development Research Group. Today, we're going to talk about his paper, Improving Management with Individual and Group-Based Consulting, results from a randomized experiment in Colombia, which is co-authored with Leonardo Iacovone and William Maloney, and forthcoming at the Review of Economic Studies. Hello, David. Welcome to the program. Thanks. It's lovely to be here. So uh, listeners of our program will by now be really aware that there is a literature in economics documenting that there are large differences in management practices across firms and that these differences are correlated with firm performance, uh, most likely in a, a causal way. The paper that we are going to talk about today is part, if you want, of a second generation of studies that look at how to actually improve the management of firms. And it turns out that one other important paper in this second generation was also written by you, together with Nick Bloom, Ben Eifert, Aprajit Mahajan, and John Roberts. And I would like to start by going back to that paper, because in some sense, the limitations, the constraints of that paper really inform, I believe, what you are trying to do in the current study. Could you summarize what that paper does and what are the limitations of the knowledge that we acquire from that paper? Sure. So, so that paper really started off with that observation that you made that you know, we had all this evidence starting to accumulate that there was this correlation between better management and firm performance. Performance, and the question was, was that really causal? And so we set that up as very much a proof of concept, efficacy type of trial, where we said, you know, we're not sure if this is going to work. Let's try and go at it as hard and heavy handed as we can. We're going to hire, you know, Accenture Consulting, one of the top consulting firms in the world. We're going to, you know, have us overseeing things and really a lot of close research or attention. We're going to work on firms that are all producing the exact same thing. So this case we, we looked at was Indian textile firms. And we're going to try and see if, you know, very intensive individualized consulting by Accenture could help improve management and therefore productivity, hopefully, in these Indian consulting firms. Now, you know, we set that up as a research project, which meant we had to fund it all ourselves as well, which meant that we had to raise the money to pay for this consulting. And even at a academic discount, it was very expensive. I think we were paying upwards of $75,000 a firm that we worked with. They said the market price would be about $250,000 per firm for the services that they were doing. And so we only worked with 17 firms. So it was a very small number of firms to do a randomized experiment with. It was very nerve-wracking trying to do this. But the advantage was that they were all in the same industry. They were using the exact same production process. We were getting daily production data. And you know we had very close monitoring and, and very high intensity interventions in a long time series. And so it was sort of a little different from our standard experiments with large N, small t. This was sort of large T, small n. And there we were able to find that we could improve management in the these badly managed Indian factories, and that when management improved, that did lead to improvements in productivity as firms. And so that was, you know, nice, but it was clearly not a very scalable solution. It involved a lot of our time. It was very expensive. It involved consulting company that typically wouldn't work with firms as small as the firms in a lot of developing countries. And so, you know, this was the question, you know, what could one do to, to do this at a larger scale? So scale is really 
the limitation here and what you are trying to look at in this current paper that we are discussing today. That paper was in India. The current paper is a similar exercise, of course, with variations that are very important, but which takes place in Colombia. Why did you choose Colombia to study this type of uh, intervention of management practices? So this is sort of an interesting example of how research diffusion sometimes happens, which was we got the results from India and then my co-author Leonardo had gone to Colombia to talk to the government about their objectives there. And they said, you know, we're looking to increase productivity, you know, of you know, any recent types of programs that have been used to increase productivity. And he said, well, there was this experiment recently done in India. You should get that guy to come and talk to you. And so I came along and we, we started talking. And, you know, we did a diagnostic survey using the World Management Survey instrument. And we had the World Management Survey team go and do that. And it turned out that Colombia actually has very similar levels of management to India. They're, they're not very good. Colombian firms you know, really were struggling in terms of productivity and in terms of management. So it seemed like there was room for improvement. And we had a willing and interested government who said, you know, we're willing to put our own resources behind this and test whether this can, idea can work in our country. And you know, can you give us some ideas of what we could do? And you know, the government was then involved, as we, we can talk about, you know, helping select which industry we should work in as well. Did you choose the textile industry or a different type of industry? No. So the government there had had a sort of set of industries which they had as priority industries where they said, you know, these are industries that work in a number of areas in the country that we think are sort of strategic in some respect for our country. And so they went through that a short list of industries. And then in the end, we went with the auto parts sector. And so the nice thing about the auto parts sector for the purpose of the study was that it was a little bit broader broader than just textiles where they're all the same production process. We had sort of a range of firms, people making, you know, glass windows, bumpers or fenders, uh, floor mats, plastic parts, metal parts. So you've got quite a range of products within that one industry, but it's still one industry. And it was an industry that was under a lot of pressure from imports from China. And so there was sort of a, a view that, you know, you needed to improve, otherwise things were going to keep getting worse and you were going to lose more and more of the, the business in the country. And when we did the well management survey, it seemed like the auto parts sector in Colombia was actually pretty representative of all manufacturing. In Colombia, it had sort of similar management scores to the whole country. So the government thought, you know, if we can improve things in this sector, then we might be more willing to generalize to other sectors of the country. And so, you know, Colombia looks like most developing countries and auto parts looks like most of Colombia. So you mentioned earlier that in the Indian study, all the firms were very similar to each other. They were all pretty homogeneous. Here, they are much more heterogeneous, even though they are all in the same sector. Typically, in economics, we're worried about heterogeneity and observe heterogeneity. Of course, if you are going to run a field experiment, a big chunk of the concerns about an observed heterogeneity go away. And then as long as you can measure productivity accurately, then it shouldn't be too much of a problem. Was that your thinking when you entered this project? I mean, there's there's definitely pros and cons of, of this heterogeneity. The, you know, these firms are quite different in terms of size. So they sort of range from 10 workers to 310 workers. The average firm had about 58 workers. You know, there was quite a range in terms of sales and then a range in terms of products. And so that does make it a lot harder to statistically detect impacts. Right. So this was a big concern for us. And, you know, we were hopeful that we would be able to get enough power by, you know, having enough time series by making sure we didn't have the, you know, very, very tiny firms and, and massive firms, but a lot of it was out of our control. And I think, you know, the advantage is because we have this, this range 
range of different firms within that subsector, we might hope that if we do see results, it's not just that there's something really specific going on about that particular type of textiles in in India at that moment in time, but maybe it's a little bit more generalizable. And for a policy, that matters a lot as well. You said that in India, you hire some really fancy international consultants, Accenture. Here in Colombia, what you are going to, what you're trying to do is to replicate that type of consulting treatment, but at a cheaper price. And obviously, a big part of hiring somebody at a cheaper price depends on who is it that you are hiring. Presumably, you did not hire a Colombian Accenture. Who are the consultants that were hired in Colombia for this intervention? Yes, so the consultants were the Colombian National Productivity Center, which went under the acronym CNP for its uh, Spanish initials. And so this is an organization that was actually initially set up with help from the Japanese in Colombia. It was sort of part of the Japanese development efforts was to try and spread this methodology of sort of lean manufacturing to other parts of the world. And so they had come in and provided support to the Colombians to set up the center. This center had been working for about 15 years in Colombia and had sort of done consulting with about 4,000 Colombian firms. So we knew that it was a you know an organization that had some experience in the country, had got trained in in this, but it was, you know, it was providing services to local firms. This was not an internationally sort of well-known firm. And so there was still a lot of uncertainty as to, you know, exactly what it would do, but we were hopeful at least that it had some experience and some track record that we could rely on there. So you are going to undertake a randomized trial and experiment in which some firms will receive this consulting treatment, others will not. We'll go into the details in a second. But we are mentioning that a big part of the motivation is to have, if you want, a weaker type of treatment, less intensive with perhaps consultants that, while obviously a professional and, and efficient, may not be perhaps as good as Accenture. One way to think about this is in terms of of some type of relation between the consulting treatment and productivity, in which uh, in the first experiment, you moved along the horizontal axis by a lot, and therefore you were able to detect some improvement in productivity management practices. Now here, in principle, at least in principle before going into the results, in principle because this intervention is cheaper, you are going to move a slightly smaller distance along that horizontal dimension. And in some sense, one way to think about this is, well, we will hope that there is some improvement. And the question is, we will expect that this improvement will be proportional to how much you pay for it, or more than proportional, or less than proportional, Therefore, in some sense, what is the shape of this relation between the consulting treatment and productivity is? Before entering into this paper, I thought my intuition would be that this relation will be concave. That is, if you are a firm that is very unproductive, even knowing very little improves you by a lot. Whereas, obviously, if you are very close to the frontier, it takes more and more sophistication in terms of the learning that you're provided with to increase your productivity. Was that also the prior that you had going into the project? It was not so clear to me. I think in part because of the complementarity between a lot of these practices, that in some sense, you need to have a lot of information to even understand where the problems are, to see where some of 
of the bottlenecks are. If you're not monitoring quality, if you're not able to measure what's going on in different production lines, it can be quite hard to then understand what you should do about it. And so that's sort of the countervailing force, I think. I think your argument holds for some types of practices, perhaps, and, and not for others where you really, each of them build on one another. And I think it's, you know, I think it's also talked about this being a weaker treatment. Our hope was really that it was going to be a cheaper treatment, but we didn't necessarily want it to be weaker. But of course, you know, we think that price and quality are correlated, but it was certainly intensive. And, you know, we will go into the details of, of that. So th this was not something worked when it was six months. Can we take it down to one month and make it get one sixth of the impact? This was more, I think, shifting along that quality margin in terms of the consultant's approach and the consultant quality rather than in terms of time and effort involved. That's right. So I was giving you my intuition as, say, the person from the street, but then you reply by saying, wait a second, the intuition from an organizational economist since, say, the work of Itzinoski and so in the 90s is that maybe the relation is convex. <laughs> that is, because there are complementarity between these practices, perhaps we're getting less than proportional where we're putting it. So therefore, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question, the shape of this relation, and theoretically, it's not clear at all. Okay, so you selected some firms from this uh, auto parts sector. What is the number of firms that were selected and how do they end up in this experiment? So the, the sector, as we mentioned, the auto parts sector is the firms that we're working with are tier two support. Suppliers. So that means they're sort of supplying things to people who go on to supply things to the main bus companies and car companies, et cetera. And so the way we reached those firms was to you know, have a public call from the government as well as reach through the sort of supply chains and, and you know, reach out there. And so there was this open call for companies to apply. And then they applied and they were screened to see whether they were you know, the right size and the right sector and you know, were willing to put in the effort. And then we ended up with 159 firms uh, that were uh, willing to, to be in this program. And this program, I should mention, was free for them to participate in, except they had to you know, devote a lot of management and work a time to working on this, but they weren't actually having to pay anything. And so that 159 firms, when we matched it to the manufacturing census, seems to be about 20% of all auto parts firms in the country and about 35% of the firms that are in this sort of media medium firm size range. So it seems like we don't have the very smallest firms and we don't have the very largest firms, but we have sort of a lot of the firms that are the sort of mid-sized firms that elected to participate in this program. And you split those uh, 159 firms into three groups, right? One control and two treatments. But before the experiment started, there is an initial diagnostic phase that is actually quite important um, and that you use to measure how well these firms uh, are being managed. And, and this diagnosis is important because you mentioned in the paper that, that it is possible that the diagnosis is by itself already providing some type of weak treatment, even to the control group. What happened during this diagnostic phase? So this diagnostic phase was a, a two-week phase where a company would get a team of six consultants come out. So there was a consultant in each of five specialty areas. There was somebody in financial practices, someone in human resource practices, someone in marketing practices, someone in logistics, and someone in production. So this team would come for two weeks and they would meet with your different areas of the organization and they would attempt to measure what your management practices were in these different areas and see where you were strong, where you were 
having difficulties and come up with a, a report at the end of that of sort of areas for prioritization. And I should mention this diagnostic idea was also what we did in India. Our control group in India also got this. And part of the reason for this was, you know, you needed to be able to measure these things for the control group to see if there was changes. And part of it was, you know, for firms to be willing to share data and participate in this program, they have to feel like they're getting something or that they feel like they're in the program. Um, and, you know, by giving them this diagnostic, it also helps alleviate at least some of the sort of Hawthorne effect concerns. You know, they're not, they don't know that they're necessarily in the control group because they, the program is, oh, somebody came, they looked at my factory, they gave me some recommendations. That's what consultants do, right? So, you know, I got the consulting. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, for a number of reasons, it, it sort of both helps us on the measurement side, as well as alleviating some of the potential concerns you might have about just firms changing as a result of that. But we don't know in the Colombian case, how much that diagnostic itself helps firms. When we look it seems like there's a few measurement practices that change as a result of it, but firms don't seem to change a lot as a result of just this diagnostic. I can come back to this, but I think this gets at the issue of why don't firms change more of these things on their own? You know, why, why do we need consultants in the first place? And I think it's quite hard to change management, and that's why we've had to spend so many years in these big studies trying to, to do it. It's, it's really hard to change quite often. But these consultants that went to do the diagnostic, were they also from the CNP? Yes, they were. And from the non Profit. So they were the same people that will end up providing the more intensive consulting, if you want, to the treatment group. Exactly. Okay. So we have one control and two treatments. And the first treatment is the one that we have been touching upon uh, most directly because it is the one that is the most related to the earlier paper. What did this uh, individualized consulting intervention specifically do for the first treatment group? Yes. So for the first treatment group, what they got was then after this diagnostic, they had a six-month period where they would have these specialists in each of these five areas come out and these specialists would each spend uh, sort of 20 hours with the team trying to give them some basic training in that area and then 80 hours of, of implementation. So overall, they're getting about 500 hours of individual consulting time spread over six months where that consultant is there so there'll be the consultant for logistics. The consultant for logistics will be working with the logistics manager in the factory and those workers on those practices. The consultant for production will come and do the same on production. And then there'll be an overall meeting with the management of the whole plant to go through what's going on in the different areas and to ensure those practices sort of meet up. So it's very intensive in that sense. You talked about it being a weaker um, treatment, but you know it's still 500 hours spread over six months. So it's this is when I say it's quite hard to change management, you're really giving a, a lot of individualized time here. And the, these people are coming out to the plant, they're in there in the plant and I'm um, trying to, to do this. I should say, you know, one difference in approach from the approach that we saw of the sort of international consultants like Accenture was that, you know, they they like to diagnose those a lot and try and sort of measure a lot before they change. Whereas, you know, Accenture had this very much, let's show quick wins, let's work in one area and come back to once we've seen the improvements in that to, to spread out to others. And so, you know, when you were talking about convexity versus concavity, I think that's the idea you had in mind is some low-hanging fruit and you can go in and fix some things first. But if your approach is we need to diagnose the whole structure and then start doing things, if you only get some hours of that, 
then you never get past the diagnostic part. And so that's the consultants, in fact, in a different project said, we have this habit in Colombia of over-diagnostic. And, you know, we don't think that's true as they went on to do a big diagnostic themselves. And so I think, you know, there's very much, this is the view of consultants in Colombia is we need to really understand the full extent of the problem and not the sort of lean startup approach of let's quickly get in there, fix something and then move on. And so I think those are different approaches to consulting that, you know, one can think of. So as you said, 500 hours in total, I don't know if you have mentioned it already, but how much did this intervention cost? This individual treatment cost about 30,000 US dollars per firm. Almost an order of magnitude cheaper than India. Exactly. So I guess that in some sense, a big part of the reason that it is cheaper is that the hour of the consultants cost relatively little. If 500 hours, $30,000, that would be $60 per hour. I am in the process of getting my daughters into secondary schools and paying for tutors for them to try to pass the exam. I was amazed at how much my daughter's tutors earn more than the Colombian consultants that improve the productivity of these firms. So these are relatively cheap consultants. They may be very good, of course, but you are not paying international rates, let's say, for these consultants. No, for sure. This is a good salary by local market conditions for these consultants, but it's not. If, if you were having to compete with for their time with US companies or with international companies, then these consultants would be getting paid a lot more. I should say. And so, yes, that's uh, these consultants get paid as much as math tutors do or, or less than math tutors do in the DC area. So I think that this is important because you were mentioning at the beginning that a, a big motivation of the study was in terms of how to scale up. And in some sense, you seem to have tapped into a developing country or middle income country, perhaps Colombia is, that has very low productivity, but in which there is an organization that for $60 an hour can provide this training. I am wondering how easy it would be to replicate this at a larger scale, even at a Colombian national level scale, because you don't have many of these organizations, right? So Presumably, the supply of these consulting services, even in Colombia, is relatively inelastic. I think that, you know, we'll come back to this a little bit. And this is sort of relates to work I've been doing in a different project in Nigeria on trying to understand the whole market for these services. And I think there's a lot more of these local consultants in countries than we often are able to understand about. And, you know, one of the tricky challenges for firms is just trying to understand actually what that supply is out there. If I wanted to go and hire somebody by myself, there's a lot of sort of small operations out there of uncertain quality. And it's really hard for me to tell who's good and who's bad. And so there could be a lot more supply out there to tap, but the market doesn't work that well. And it's very hard for you know those guys to signal their quality. And it's quite hard for me as a firm to try and figure out who I should hire. And so I think you know, you're right that if you're trying to suddenly make this 10 times the size, it could be difficult. But in some sense, we're working at a scale where we're already working with a third of all companies in that sector in the country. So that is a pretty large scale. And so then the, you know, you could think about, well, then, you know, that's for this six months, and then we'll move on to another industry and we'll work on, you know, a third or a half of the firms in that industry. And so in some sense, this is the scale that we might think of a government project operating with this in. You spread this over sort of five years and you could hit quite a few industries quite intensively with this type of scale. And so I think there is, I'm not sure the supply of consultants is the big constraint. 
strain necessarily. Okay, so that's the first treatment. There is a second treatment. And in some sense, we haven't touched upon that one just yet. But in some sense, that's actually in many ways the most interesting and the one that, you know, you will tell us earlier perhaps delivers the strongest results. A big advantage of this second treatment is that it's even cheaper. What is this treatment and why did you think that it might also work at improving management practices? Yes, and so this was the, the thing that we were most excited about and we've left it till now to, uh, to, right. to talk about. But, uh, you know, when we went, to, when I was asked to come to Colombia and they said, um, what could we do that would be different from India? I said, well, we've had this idea that we'd like to try that that's taken from agricultural extension, which is there, they get several farmers together, they learn together, they observe things going on on one of their plots and they take it back and apply to the, another of their, their plots. You know, we think the same idea could work in factories where we could get small groups of firms together, they could learn from one another, share experiences in implementing these, these practices. You could have one team of consultants working with this group and that would spread costs and make it cheaper. And there could be some group learning dynamics and things on top of that. And so, so this is what the second group got. They got a group-based intervention where they were formed into groups of three to eight firms. One of the concerns there is whether they're competitors or not. But as I mentioned, the sector is quite diverse. And so we don't really have that issue of not being willing to talk to somebody because you, you're directly competing with them. You're all making slightly different products and competing with China. And so you know, here you form this little group and then the consultant comes and the consultant will work as a group. So they'll have a day where they're working on production and all the production managers of these five different companies will come together in a central location. The consultant will go through, you know, here's what we're going to do with production. And then they go back to their factories and they do it in their factories. And then they come back and they meet and they exchange experiences and, and work like that. And so they're still getting lots of time. They're getting, uh, I think it was 408 hours in total um, through this group-based uh, approach, but it's $10,000 versus $30,000. So it's a third of the cost for delivery because you're spreading it over multiple firms and you're hopefully you know, able to leverage some potential advantages of the group as well in terms of learning from one another, experimenting together, supporting one another, et cetera. And so this was the novel idea that we weren't sure whether it would work or not, but we thought it would definitely be cheaper. And then the question was, would this be as successful as uh, individual consulting or at least you know, maybe half as successful a third of the cost, which would still make it a win. And so that was the goal. In the case of agricultural extension that you were mentioned earlier, that you say what motivated the, this type of treatment, I can see that the plots of the farmers in, say, Africa are all relatively similar to one another and that what works for your neighbor may also work for you. But here, as you are saying, these companies are not actually competing uh, with each other. Therefore, they may have a slightly different technologies. They may be in you know, slightly different regions. And therefore, it is not as obvious going in that the type of solutions that work for somebody else in my group may also work for me. And less, of course, the type of problems that we are facing are all very general. This was the debate when we went into this sort of whole is management causal approach in the first place was, you know, if we see firms doing different management practices, is it because they all face their own different circumstances and, you know, maybe they have poor quality problems because it's cheap to fix it or consumers aren't that quality sensitive, etc.? Um, you know, so that's one view of management versus the idea that there's sort of 
certain general best practices that every firm should really be trying to do. And so, you know, here, you know, the idea is if, if you're tracking, you know, where bottlenecks are occurring in your production process, you know, that's a practice that you should be doing if you're making metal parts or if you're making plastic parts or if you're making car windows. And so if we're going to talk together about, you know, how to figure out where bottlenecks are occurring and putting systems in place to prevent them, we can all go and do that in our factories and then we can come and share experience. Or if we're talking about dealing with HR issues and, you know, how do we, you know, figure out who's our best performers and reward them and what do we do with bad performers? That's something where you could imagine, you know, that's a common problem that many firms face. And while the specifics are going to be different, it's something where we could do that. So I think this is where management consulting versus technical consulting is... You know, would be would be different if it was like the agricultural extension is much more technical consulting. You're going to put this much fertilizer on this plot and on these days. That's not that type of idea is not going to work at, at a group scale here. But you know, this is how you deal with bottlenecks. This is how you deal with poorly performing staff. I think are sort of more general problems you can think about working. With. This is the case throughout in both type of treatments as well as in the diagnosis. What you are saying is that the type of issues that we are trying to resolve here are very general, or if you want, very basic, you know? Uh, you should be aware of your bottlenecks. You should promote your best performers rather than your worst performers or your cousins. From that perspective, the fact that these firms are so far away from the frontier lends itself to general advice, having more bite. Exactly. I think this is you know, and this is what we see from the well management surveys, just across sort of a range of general, I should mention those practices are even at a more higher level of generality than the specific ones that we're measuring. And we see big gaps across a range of countries and in, you know, firms doing exactly those types of things you mentioned. Okay, so what is the data that you have to measure the effectiveness of these consulting uh, treatments? This was sort of one of our big challenging issues was getting data from these firms in part because, you know, when you're badly managed, you don't necessarily keep great data on a lot of the things that we'd like <laughs> to look and, and see what's what's going on. And so, so we have a range of different things that we're measuring. And so the first thing we're trying to measure is just simply when we try and improve management, does management improve? You know, you know hopefully, but that means we need to measure management practices. And so we have this, you know, quite in-depth uh, management survey that was done at the diagnostic. And as I say, they, they tend to over-diagnose. And so they had a 141 different practices they wanted to measure over these five domains. And so we measure those at baseline. And then we going in and following throughout the implementation phase. And then for a year afterwards, what's going on with these management practices? And so are they keeping and using master budgets? Are they having procedures for quality control in place? Are they doing a range of these, these things in, in these different you know, areas of logistics and finance and production and HR? And so you know, that gets measured by surveys. We had uh, Innovations for Poverty Action, an uh, NGO come in and you know, monitor the collection uh, along with CNP. So we had sort of independent eyes going on to make sure you know, that this was measuring what was, was taking place. And so that's sort of our first set of data is, is what's happening with management practices. Then you know, we care about firm performance. And you know, our initial approach was to try and collect that data from the firms themselves. And so that started off reasonably well. We were able to sort of extract 
and have the firm share some of their sales and profits and employment data. But this project lasted a long time. You know, we started, the, the call went out in, in 2012. The project started in 2013 and we kept on collecting data and trying to do things, you know, for the next five or six years through to the end of 2018. And so over time, they kind of got sick of us or they, you know, other things came up or there was gaps in funding. And, and so, you know, that ended up being problematic. Couldn't collect all the data through those um, surveys that we were doing ourselves. And so our main use of performance data comes from two sets of data that are collected independently from the project that because Columbia has such nice annual manufacturing surveys and social security data, we were able to link. And so our sort of two main sources of data there are the social security data and that comes monthly from every firm that reporting its work as pensions and um, health contributions and things. And so we get data on employment every month for uh, over six years for these firms. And then we have uh, data. Columbia has an annual manufacturing survey, and these firms are required by law to answer that. And, and it's not linked to the project in any way. And so then we're able to link our firms in the data office of the statistics agency there um, to this. And then we can measure you know, what's going on with sales, with uh, profits, with you know, value added and, and some sort of measure of labor productivity through, through that. So typically with, with field experiments, the econometrics are relatively simple. I can just ask you directly, what were the effects of uh, being assigned to the treatment group or one of the two treatment groups on maybe first management practices? So on these management practices, we had, as I mentioned, this whole range of practices, 141 practices. And so firms in the control group were doing about 59% of these practices. Or, uh, that was sort of their average score. And we get an 8 to 10 percentage point improvement in that. So we're seeing both treatments are improving management practices, and they seem to improve it by a similar amount. So you know, the group treatment that costs a third as much is improving management as much as the individual treatment. And then what's interesting is we also see not only is the level increased the same, but we also see when we look, drill down into those individual practices, there's sort of a widespread gain. There's, there's changes in a lot of those practices. We see, you know, over half of those practices changing. And the practices that change in the individual one are very similar to the practices that change in the group one. So it's not that, you know, one set of practices got emphasized more when you're working one-on-one -on -one and another set when you're working as a group. It really seems to be, you know, from what we're measuring on management, the same types of practices largely getting changed in both to the same extent. You know, the first thing is, you know, could we scale it up? Well, got improvements in management in India from this very intensive thing. We got improvements here. The improvements were not as large. You know, it's hard to compare what a change in management means across contexts. But in terms of standard deviations or in terms of absolute percentage changes, it doesn't seem like as large a change as what we saw in, in India. But it's still a you know relatively large and, and statistically significant improvement in management. So that's the sort of first good news, I guess. So it may not be so easy to compare with India, but it is easier to compare one treatment with the other treatment. And you are telling us that both treatments improved management practices by roughly speaking the same amount, but one of the treatments was one third of the cost of the other treatment. So in terms of improvement per dollar spent, there is a clear ranking here. 
I guess that this is slightly surprising that the group treatment led to a similar increase as the individual treatment. And I'm wondering whether a potential answer to, to this perhaps puzzle or coincidence there is that these management practices are somewhat generic, as we were mentioning earlier. That is, if you think about the technology of teaching something, if I have very individualized way of learning or problems, then tutoring is going to work for me in a way that going to a class may not work. But if what I'm trying to learn is something that everybody else is trying to learn, then going to a small class is not going to necessarily harm me relative to having a tutor. And, and you know, perhaps, perhaps the production function of teaching something generic is one in which, at least within relatively small groups, there is no loss in transmission of information in moving from one to several members in the audience. That seems to be right. I think we looked to see within the groups, was it that if you had somebody who was really good at a practice in that group, you could just mimic them and you could actually learn from, from the best person in your group? So, or was it that you know if you just tended to improve the same things that other people in the group improved? And it was the latter that we saw. We saw it sort of seemed to be this coordinated learning and experimentation where the group as a whole would improve a set of practices. And the fact that you got put in a group where there was a firm that happened to be really good at something didn't seem to make you any more likely to change that practice. So it seemed like it was more that we're in this together. And I think you mentioned reasons why we might think it could fall as we move from sort of individualized attention to group attention. But I think if you know the reason that you're not doing this in the first place is you're uncertain about whether this is really something that a firm like yours would benefit from and you're, it's always hard to find motivation and things. You can think of a number of reasons where learning as a group could actually reinforce this learning effort where you now think, oh, okay, these guys can do it. So maybe I can. And also I'm accountable. I'm going to come back and I'm going to you know, share with the others what I've been doing. And so I'm going to do it. And so I think, again, you know, there's this forces that can kind of push back against that individualized attention in the same way that we, we think sort of competition and peer pressure and things can sometimes have positive impacts on, on learning in, in classroom settings versus you know, one-on-one settings. Okay, so these are the effects on management practices. What are the effects on employment and, and most importantly, presumably on productivity, which are, I would expect, the variables that ultimately the Colombian government really cares about? Yes, and so we actually asked them ex ante, you know, what do you care about most here? And they said, you know, we care about productivity, but we also care a lot about employment. And employment is, and we have a lot of unemployed, we have people in the informal sector. This is a sector that pays good wages and we really care about employment. And so this is sort of often when I, in the World Bank, this is never a problem. And then I go and speak in academia and they're like, employment is a cost to firms. Why would you want to try and increase employment? You should be trying to, you know, reduce employment and have fewer employees to produce as much stuff. And that's going to be a big bonus. But of course, you know, we think there's a lot of societal benefits for having lots of people in good formal jobs. And so that's what governments care about as well. So when we looked, we we find here that group treatment actually has the most positive impacts. And so the group treatment increases employment. You remember, I mentioned they had about 58 employees on average. It increases employment by six to 15 workers, depending on sort of which measure of workers we use and whether we use a log or a linear specification, et cetera. But it's, there's an improvement in, in employment that's sort of 10% 
percent to 20 percent improvement in employment. Sales are going up 28 to 33 percent. We're we're seeing profits are going up five to 26 percent. And so what that means in numbers in terms of profits is the point estimates a 273 thousand dollar a year increase in profits. So we mentioned the training costs ten thousand dollars per firm for this group treatment, and profits are going up 273 thousand. Even at the lower end of our confidence interval, they're going up 17 thousand. So it sort of seems within a year, for sure, maybe within even a month, this treatment is, is paying for itself for this group treatment. And then productivity, we're getting less significant results on that because sales have gone up and labor has gone up and sort of sales per worker you know, seems to have gone up a, a bit. It's maybe 10%, a 10, 11% increase in, in labor productivity, but we measure that less precisely. I, I would say you know, we don't have significance on that, but value added is going up um, as well. So the group treatment sort of across a range of measures and this, I should mention, is measured over the three years following the end of the treatment. So this is not just a momentary blip in, in this and then things are falling back where you know, this seems to be sustained for at least three years. And the group treatment is, is showing positive impacts across a range of... And so then the, you know, the puzzle for us is that when we look at the individual treatment, which had the sort of same measured increase in management, we don't find nearly the same significant impacts on firm outcomes. So we're seeing an increase in our point estimates of employment of sort of two to seven workers, sales are going up five to 13%. So, you know, there's positive impacts there. They're smaller in magnitude than what we see with the group. And this is where the heterogeneity and the sample sizes start to bite us because we can't sort of rule out that they're the same in many cases as the group treatment, but we also can't rule out that they are sort of, you know, quite a bit smaller. And so again, on a value for money basis, the group treatment's just dominating because um, it's having all these positive impacts. They're at least as good as the individual treatment. They seem probably better and they're a third of the cost. But, you know, the individual one, it's a, if we had just done the individual one, we'd be in the situation where we'd be saying, well, we improved management. We sort of see some positive impacts, but they're not super strong. What went on here? And so, you know, thank goodness we had the group, I guess. In some sense, you go as consultant to the Colombian government or some other governments in the future. You don't need to have two answers. One answer is enough. You know, as long as you tell them, see, you can do this thing. You don't have to tell them, you can do this thing. And there is this other thing which is slightly worse. They will not care about the second best uh, option. They will only care about the first one. So I think that finding that the group treatment has these massive effects of 27 times the benefit in profits in a year, what the Colombian government or the World Bank end up paying for this consulting, I think that seems good enough as a conclusion from the paper. No, I mean, we're very happy with that. And I think it's also you know, useful from a policy point of view, because then it's very clear, this is not something that you can go and just do by yourself as a firm. There's a scope for government there, like trying to set up this group-based consulting and organize yourself to work with other firms in a group to, to get this is very hard to kind of coordinate and do. And so, you know, not only is this cheaper and more attractive for government, but, you, you know, it, it sort of also suggests, hey, there could be more of a role for policy there. Whereas, you know, when we just think about the individual consulting market, the questions are always, well, why, why don't people just go and buy this stuff themselves? And I think there's a lot of reasons, a lot of market failures there, a lot of uncertainty about these returns. As I mentioned, we've done this experiment. We took six years of measurement. We had 159 firms. We spent all this money. And even then, 
we find it really hard to know exactly how much consulting is working or not. So it's pretty hard for any one firm to figure it out by themselves how much it's benefiting them. So, you know, I think there is a sort of one of the issues here is it is really hard to know whether management's working for you in in some respects. Um, And it's only through this, this kind of experiment that we can learn. But I think it's also, you know, when we look to the group, it becomes a lot clearer that that's not something that's so easy to do by yourself. And and maybe for policy, there's there's more of a role. So the cost-benefit analysis of this intervention is clearly passed, definitely for the the group treatment. On the basis of this, in some sense, I am surprised that the Colombian government has not implemented this everywhere throughout the economy. Because you have just said that supply of local consultants is not a bottleneck. That's not the issue. I mean, I can imagine of political economy issues in in Colombia or other uh, developing economies. But when you get a return within a year of 2,700%, it will seem that this is something that is worth investing in. Any money that the Colombian government may want to spend is better spent here if we believe these estimates rather than almost anywhere else. Why is it that this intervention has not spread out to the whole of the Colombian economy? I mean, I think that's a good question. And I think part of the answer is indeed a political economy answer, which was, and part of it also reflects the sort of time frame of these evaluations and how long it takes to, to sort of influence policy. And so, you know, as I mentioned, the program was launched in 2012. To get these impacts on profits and things, we had to wait until the 2018 data were available, which was not until December 2019. And then COVID hit and all sorts of other things are happening in the country. So that's sort of one reason, I think, which is is that by the time we actually had results, you know, the, com- the country's facing a lot of other problems. The second thing is, you know, over the seven years, the government's not standing still waiting eagerly for the eva- results of this one evaluation. They're, they're trying all sorts of other things. And, you know, there's a new government in place and the new government had invested in a, a sort of different set of technologies for trying to help firms. But these ideas, I think, are getting incorporated in some sort of melange of what they were doing versus what the previous government was doing. And this is under discussion for as they recover from COVID. But at the moment, no, that has, has been. But, you know, as I mentioned, you know, we had the India results and that led to Colombia doing it. Then, you know, with these Colombian results, we're now seeing other countries. I, I know a, a project in Ghana is planning on using this idea, for example. And so I think it's, you know, the, the path to policy is not necessarily linear in the same country. It tends to, you know, hopefully we're learning things that can apply more generally. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see this idea in more places. And again, I, this is just one experiment I, with 159 firms. It's still pretty small to make massive policies in lots of countries on. And so I want to see it replicated. And, you know, I think there's a lot that we still need to learn about how to make this group work and, and how to measure things well so that we can understand more some of the mechanisms. So I definitely see this as a big positive step forward, but it's it's not the sort of, okay, you've got the blueprint now, or you can go and print this everywhere with no further adjustment needed. I, I can see the uncertainty about the results and, and the lags and, and the political economy issues, but I'm wondering whether uh, an additional obstacle may have to do with the supply of firms who want to improve. And this is because in the paper you mentioned at some point, Colombian firms are worse managed than American firms, but they rate themselves as better managed than American firms. That is one big reason why firms are badly managed is that they do not think 
that they are badly managed and therefore there is no eagerness uh, to learn. And here you have that uh, you managed to convince uh, 20% of the, of the sector that they had a problem. Uh, they volunteered presumably in the expectation that they had something to learn and therefore under the assumption that they did not already know everything that there is to know about management. And I'm wondering, is it possible that there are just not so many firms out there in the economy who think that they have something to learn from the Centro Nacional de Productividad uh, consultants? I think this is one of the big reasons is a lot of firms just, you know, if you ask them, they think they're better managed than, than the average. And we got some pushback from referees on whether you can really compare these ratings across countries. But if you look at the self-diagnostic scale, Colombian firms do think that they're better managed than American firms think that they are managed, even though the, the sort of management scores are are much worse. And so there is this view that you, you don't necessarily know how bad you are. And then it, the pressure to improve is not there until competition really comes. And then when competition comes, then you sort of almost feel like, oh, I've, I'm so desperate trying to deal with day-to-day things that I don't have time to sort of devote six months to having these consultants come in and tell me how to, to do things. And so it's I think there's a tricky question of how do you convince firms to do it before it becomes too late for them to do it because they're dealing with all sorts of other stuff. And yeah, I think this is, you know, one of the big challenges is they don't know that they're badly managed. And then even if they do know they're badly managed, they're not sure about the quality of any particular program that gets suggested. And they're, then the government comes and proposes something and they're like, well, you know, how good is this program anyway? I, I don't know much about these, these guys. And so that's hopefully where the results of at least one study like this can help alleviate that second constraint and sort of say, look, you know, here's some results from f- some firms that have gone through this already. Um, maybe that can encourage more of them to apply. Thank you very much, David, for coming to the program. Thanks so much. It was fun. My guest today has been David McKenzie. My name is Jordi Lanes Vidal, and this is the Visible Hand podcast. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, for links to the other papers that we discussed. Introductory music and logo by Etana Blanesiso. The episode was produced by Anderson Tan. <laughs>